This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Magpies Unrestricted. Hello ladies and gents and welcome to Magpies Unrestricted where we'll be talking all things Newcastle United. I'm your host Chris Simpson and joining me today is Gareth Thistlethwaite. Hello. I'm joining your listeners after a 1-0 defeat for the Magpies at home to Liverpool. Not too unexpected but we didn't get battered. But No, I just thought you know Newcastle could have probably put up a bit more of a fight. It wasn't the Newcastle we've come to know over the last couple of matches but to be fair it wasn't the same Liverpool we've also known for most of this season. They did enough to get by. Probably should have been maybe more to Liverpool, but they had the better chances, but they didn't exactly take them. Um, yeah, I, I thought both teams played okay, but it, it wasn't the most exciting match I think I've ever witnessed. No, I mean, neither, neither team were at their best. I mean, certainly obviously Liverpool. I mean, if, if they're at their best, then obviously they, they absolutely blow us away. And we uh, we we weren't awful or anything, but we were we weren't as you say we weren't nearly as good as we have been in recent weeks. I think going forward, it was a bit it was a bit of a frustrating performance from us going forward. Just lots of offsides, you know, just never really troubling them. Just players just lacking that bit of quality in the final third. I mean, it's just just simple mistakes really that meant that nothing really made that much of a difference to Liverpool to say lots of offsides and the Almiron chance of what goal in inverted commas he was so far offside yeah I mean you, it was so clear you, you didn't need uh, VAR for that one I mean on the, on the one hand obviously to take some sort of silver lining from that mm-hmm. it was nice to see Almiron ignoring the offside he, you know, he did really well um, and I guess that speaks to the confidence that he's got now a bit more um, since his goal the other week, and, and you know he's starting to feature a bit more regularly and put in some some stronger performances. But again, yeah, in terms of like timing the run, I think I think it was a reminder actually, which we've not had too many of recently because we've still been doing so well. We've been sharing the goals around, but this was a that sort of extra reminder of like, oh yeah, Callum Wilson, you know, he, he's he's that more intelligent front player. He'll stay on side a lot more often. Yeah, you know and, what I mean. And I suppose you know it just shows that there is still quite a gulf. Um, but you know, you didn't get pumped, so you've got to take the positive <laughs> way you can. Forget how Liverpool do, did um, in, in that match. Newcastle themselves didn't get absolutely hammered, so you know you, you take it as that. Yeah, I mean to be honest, that's usually the first thing I hope for whenever we play a team like Liverpool. Um, team we do not you know have a very good record against the first thing I'm always wondering is like can we just like not get battered and then go from there so um Navigator of course was the one who scored the goal um Fabian Scherer obviously was down injured at the time but um as replays did show it was actually a, a completely fair tackle from uh, from James Milner so can't really be too annoyed at that one and it wasn't a head injury so you can't blame the ref for not stopping play so don't actually have any issues with that 
but yeah, as I say, not not the best game. Hopefully, we can offer a bit more next week against Man City. On the other hand, it's against Man City, so chances are, maybe not. <laughs> but I'll tell you who did have a good week at St James's Park uh, this weekend. Newcastle women, subtly moving on to the news here. <laughs> uh, Newcastle women it was played... It smooth transition, <laughs> I'll give you that. Neat segue, yeah. There. Uh, yeah, they played at St James's Park for the first time on Sunday um, in their history. They beat Annick Town 4 0 in front of, get this, 22,134 fans. And that was a new record, I believe. Um, the most fans that have been in a, a women's stadium in, in, in England, for sure. I do believe PSG then beat that, the PSG women's did beat that not, not long after. But it, it, it was its own record and obviously still is a record for in the UK. So but that's really so, cool to I mean, see. So, certainly in that tier anyway I don't know if it's a record I don't think it's a necessary record it was a record for something overall I, I think in that tier yeah. because as, as I say 22,000 fans for a fourth tier women's game again just to put it in perspective Cheap, it? <laughs> well, yeah, but it, it shows as well you know if, if you if you put the make it easy to go and see the women's teams put them in the same stadium as the men and yeah, obviously, yeah, I think the tickets were about three, I think they were three pounds for adults and three for kids. But at the end of the day, you get people through the door, they have a good time, they're going to want to come back. You make it easy for them in terms of where the venues, um, you know, which venue you actually get them. Because, you know, instead of having to schlep to some basically like non-league pitch, <laughs> sort <laughs> yes. of somewhere, you know, they get to, get, get to go to the stadium. Great experience uh, for the players as well. Um, yeah, you, you're going to get more people coming to women's football at the end of the day, and it's it's good to see us. I mean, long long overdue. Um, and again, as always, there's always that Saudi um, asterisk hanging over everything. But it, it, otherwise, you know, setting that aside for a moment, it's it's great to see the team finally embracing the women's team, giving them more opportunities. And I'm sure I, I see a lot of women's team teams in football and rugby playing on. AstroTurf, effectively, like a fake pitch. Yeah. Like, why not? If the stadium isn't being used, why not open it up to fans? And yeah, as you say, it's cheap, but when you have 22,000 fans paying £3 each, obviously there's going to be some children, but 22,000 fans, £3 each, it adds up. Yeah, it's, that's <laughs> the thing. It's, it's accessible for, for, for families in a way that men's football just is not. And... As you say, if, if this was something of an experiment, then you have to say it was it was nothing but an unqualified success. With that many fans, there's no way they're not going to let the team play there again. Whether they instantly go to start playing there every week, um, you know, I'm not sure that necessarily happens straight away. But they're certainly going to let them play there again, and, and I imagine uh, wh- whenever they can, because it's it, the fans have shown that there's an appetite for it. Yeah, and as I say, it, it promotes not just Newcastle and, and the football club as, as a whole, but it's just it's just really nice for women's teams because I, I, they do get a lot of jip, lots of people saying, oh, well, you know, they're not necessarily as good. I mean, true, but they don't have the facilities that, that men have had. Um, it's only been in very recent years that you could actually say that this was a career for a woman. That yeah, you could actually absolutely. be a professional yeah. football player. Um, so, you know, maybe take off a couple of, uh, how long's football been going? How, how old is Newcastle United Football Club? Over 100 years old? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah maybe maybe if you give them another hundred years they'll be about the same level as and, and obviously the same monetary support um, and facilities maybe the women's team will be the same standard so you know maybe you know think about that measuring stick you're using there guys um but actually having this support and the money that they've generated on here will, will then hopefully go towards the women's team and women's development team um to give them some some better training grounds and and standards and i think that will rapidly improve their their fourth tier chances of, of being promoted which seems like it potentially judging by how they played um against I don't say it. Al- Alnwick? David, uh, where are they? Where's that? Town. They're essentially just two local teams. Oh. As I say, fourth tier. Um, and yeah, I mean, as you say, the, you, you get this uh, specific brand of uh, quote-unquote football fan on, on Twitter and on these things. They're like, oh, why are they just ramming women's football down our throats? Which obviously is complete bollocks. Don't watch it then, mate. Exactly, <laughs> and again, every every those who doesn't like people, football, man or woman who doesn't like football, and they have to watch football, say the same thing every week. And do you know what they do? Don't watch it. They just walk away. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'd, I'd like to know who was forcing those twenty-two thousand people to be there, uh, really yeah. ramming it down their throats. I know. Oh. And actually, I mean, just to actually, can you imagine <laughs> the third in the like kettle in the police kettle in? But I mean actually just to go back to what you were speaking about before in terms of the sort of historical disparity and it's like it's a reminder which I think all football fans I think probably not nearly enough are aware of, but I think all football fans should be aware of, is that actually women's football used to be extremely popular. Um, for example, like during the wars, during the wars yeah. when the men were off fighting, foul, like you, you used to get fifty to one hundred thousand people going to women's games, and then good old classic misogyny kicked in, yeah, and the FA aren't allowed to play. The <laughs> FA, the FA literally banned women from playing football for like fifty years. Yeah. So there's a reason why women's football is, is, is massively <laughs> playing catch up to the men's game and, and it's having to fight for all these resources because at a crucial time in the sports history, they were literally banned purely for nothing else other than sexism. It is a very it's interesting, um, I say interesting and depressing and for any woman who's listening, we are all aware of how many times we've been stamped down on by those in power. Um, and we see it already in politics again, but we won't go there. Um, but like it is a very interesting thing to watch. Um, there is a documentary on it. I believe it was on the BBC. I cannot remember for the life of me what it was called, but I, I did see it advertised there. And it is very interesting in how football kind of then went a bit underground and how women were frowned upon for playing it. Um, but it, it's the same with a lot of quote-unquote contact sports because we've all seen various individuals in men's football fall over if the breeze <laughs> touches one of their hair follicles the wrong way. Um, but... You know, was it, it's massive. The, the difference is massive. And I, I think, you know, take everything with a pinch of salt. This is a developing sport. And yes, there are those who will be amazing and miles ahead of some of the other women. But that, there is a difference between how much support each team has given their women's team. Um, and you can clearly see that on the pitch when they play against a semi-professional team. You see it in the men's football. Who's them? Is it Andorra? Not Andorra. Who's the... The football team that has a professional and a semi-professional team and they play in the World Cup. 
And literally, some of their people, Iceland had it, but before Iceland, because I mean, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, you, I mean, yeah, you look at like European qualifying, yeah, yeah. And Andorra, as you said, San, yeah. San Marino, and, and San Marino get battered every year, yeah, but they play really. But that is the difference between professional football and semi-professional. These people have jobs; they have to get time off work to come and, and do this, and um, you know, th- that's the t- the type of scale difference there is between women's football at the moment, um, and then pull back again and then that's still the difference between the top end of women's football and, and male football yeah um I, I, it's just a bit it's a bit depressing when you get people saying oh Cotson's watch that because they're just they're just shit and it's like mm, a they're not shit they'll still probably beat you and b <laughs> there is a massive difference i mean look at the wages end of <laughs> forget yeah, anything yeah, else exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean that's the thing it, you know i mean newcastle women are you know they're, they're Barely sort of as they're forty. They're... How many years have they existed? Two. Oh, no, they've, they've existed all longer than two years, but I, I couldn't actually tell you to be honest. I but, think Leicester's women is only four years. If that. But like, we're certainly. Like, I mean Newcastle. So I bet Newcastle than... women's team. Yeah, they've been around for a while, but they're certainly they're until literally until literally the last few months, they were never sort of embraced by the football club by yeah. the men's side. It, this would never have happened under Mike Ashley, for example. Um, sorry, I just I not even to you know I just you can't help but bring it up just because it wouldn't have. And again, as I say, I know everything comes with that Saudi asterisk and it's all a PR thing, but I still feel like you know the team deserve an absolute shout out for this. Um, you know, we don't check in with the women's team too often, um, but it sets a precedent, doesn't it, for the rest of the, the, the Premier League's women's teams who might not necessarily be in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, but why not? They say their fourth team. There's teams who are in the Premier League who don't use the males' team um, stadium, which I think is just stupid. It's a team stadium, and they should play in the team stadium. Yeah, and I mean, uh, to actually shout out the players who scored in the four 0 win um, on Sunday: Katie Barker opened the scoring, then Captain uh, Brooke Cochran uh, scored, then Georgia Gibson and Beth Guy. And you got to think for those players and, and think about the number of fans they normally play in front of week in, week out, probably a few hundred. Mm. To score at St James's Park in front of, you know, 22,000 fans, I mean, exactly. the atmosphere, you know, just going absolutely wild. Um, phenomenal for them, hopefully not the last time they get to experience it, but certainly they made it memorable for the first time. And actually, and not only that, they've scored a hell of a lot more goals than the male team. So if you want a goal frenzy, then you go and watch the women's yeah, team. Yeah, I mean... 77 goals in 21 matches. Yeah, unfortunately, there's only... When was the last time Newcastle men scored 77 goals in a season? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, um, unfortunately, there's only one game of the season left for them. So they can't actually get promoted because Liverpool feds uh, have been they've secured top spot. So even if um, even if Newcastle win their final game, yeah. they're going to come up um, a few points, I think three points short. However, they've been a very comfortable second uh, in that division. As I see, yeah, 20 matches, they've scored 77 goals and they've conceded something like 15 or it might be 21. I think maybe Liverpool would concede 15, but they've, like, they've hardly conceded like any, any goals at all. Yeah, um, hopefully next season they can secure promotion to the uh, the National League Premier Division, and then from there uh, they can get up to the Championship, and then hopefully maybe the Super League in a few years' time. Certainly with the the renewed backing of the team now under the new ownership, 
hopefully that's something we can see. And, and you know, as I say, maybe in a few years' time, maybe we see Newcastle women yeah, t- playing in the Super League, playing more regularly, if not every week, hopefully, at St. James's Park. Whether, whether they'll, that'll ever happen in terms of every week, I don't know, but certainly a lot more often than, uh, well, than never. I mean, <laughs> it, it helps support the stadium, if, if nothing else. I mean, stadium management, uh, making sure you pick up the stewards and the police and uh, the medics and, and the training team and the cleaning team and the, you know, the, the pitch team, all of that costs money. And I, I don't see why opening it up every other week, so especially midweek if Newcastle aren't playing, uh, Newcastle men's aren't playing, Newcastle yeah. women should play there. Yeah. And I think that should be true for every team. Yeah, and so make it accessible to families like this one was. Get people through the door because so many people, yeah, can't afford to go to men's football these oh, days. God, yeah. And potentially, who knows, but if Newcastle do start climbing up the table, maybe the prices go up. Hopefully not. I mean, it's not like the Saudis need that gate money from the men. So, Hopefully, hopefully not, but you never know. Um, and yeah, also, I can't remember if I mentioned this before, but yeah, just to put it in perspective, that that number of fans, that's more, the 22,134, that's more people that, than attended Watford against Burnley this weekend in the Premier League. That's fourth tier women's football versus supposedly, you know, the so-called best league in the world of, of the men. The Premier League. I know it's Watford and Burnley, <laughs> but so obviously take that with a slight pinch of salt. But you know, just to really compare it, like that—that that is bonkers. It, it shows. It shows that there's an appetite for women's football, and we should stop. I think we, um, I feel football clubs need to stop looking at it as as a substandard thing. There is appetite for it. People want to go and watch it. Mm. Why not take opportunity? If you want to be completely mercenary about it, make money off it while you can. Yeah, be one of those pioneers who champions their women's team. And you will move up. And then once that money, you know, it might take a little bit of time, but women's football is on an upward trajectory. You know, you put the groundwork in now, if you just want to look at it from that yeah, cynical like financial point yeah. of view, you're going to get the rewards later for the work you do now for investing in the team, in your team, you know, as... as um, you know, like TV uh, rights deals, you know, as, as they go up because more people are watching mm-hmm. or having it rammed down their throats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a magic thing called a remote and you can turn it off. Or no, no. the um, second magical thing is what legs. What they're going to do is they're going to, um, they're going to tie people to their sofa and like, you know, like um, in a Cotwood Orange and like oh, in their eyes open, yeah. that's, that's how they're going to inject women's football into your brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, or are we going to, is it going to be like the Pied Piper? <laughs> And we march all of them to the stadium and they can watch it there because they have no willpower, clearly, because they're being forced to watch it. Or they'll, they'll trick them. They'll say that the men's team are on. Oh, man. And then as soon as they're all in, they're going to lock the doors and they go, ha-ha, yeah. the women's team are on. women. You yeah. screwed. You have to watch the women's football now. Mm. And um, Crafty, it's, really. It's underhanded, I feel. I mean, honestly, it's a disgrace the way that they force it, people to do it. It but, is. Uh, it is. And I, to be honest, I feel like those people who are being forced to watch it are being for life talk to the police about the clear kidnapping that's happening. I mean, we're victims of this ourselves. I mean, we're being forced to go to watch the Women's Euro semi-final this summer. I'm being forced to do fucking work. That's what I'm being forced to do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, we are seeing the semi-final. That'll be cool. On a serious yeah. note, I am <laughs> Yeah. You're looking forward to it because there's a TGI Fridays near there as well. <laughs> also that. But also, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> the- <laughs> 
I mean, they, they, they checked out. It's great. Be fair. No, but, um, no, but you're a discretion. <laughs> but seriously, the um, I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that this summer. Hopefully, England are there. But on the other hand, England I mean, could I mean, be in the other semi-final. Maybe they don't reach. Hopefully, they'll reach all the semis. I'm quite happy seeing two teams who I would never ever get to see. And that's the thing. Whoever we get to see, whether it's England or not, it's, it's the semi-final. It's going to be two of the best four teams that have been in the tournament. They could be the Netherlands. It could be France. Could be Germany or Spain. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, back to actually, um, back to the men's football. Uh, some other news this week. Uh, some good news: Fabian Share signing a new two-year contract with the club. Um, his contract was actually it was going to be up at the end of the season, so we would have lost him for free at, uh, if we hadn't have done this. And all round, again, it just just good news. He's a good defender, and yeah. um, every now and then he comes up with a random goal from absolutely nowhere. But he puts the work rate in, and if nothing else, he at the moment. Him rather than the cells, he is that cornerstone of your defence at the moment, ordering people around. And I think when he's not there, you can see the difference. Yeah, um, I mean, at the moment, as you say, that that partnership, it, it, it's Cher and, and Dan Byrne. Yeah, um, and they're really working well together. Yeah, um, I mean, he's only thirty, got a couple of years left. Um, how many years he's got two year contract so yeah easily 32 he and could potentially where he's at 34 There's, we see a lot of defenders yeah. at that age especially in the centre defence and yeah and the thing as well is like obviously we know we're going to have to reinforce well all over the pitch and obviously that includes obviously the defence this summer what you don't want to have to do is replace the few good players that you already have you want to build on it rather than um, you know we want to we want to add to those good players rather than have to just replace them. And again, he's one that you don't know. You still wouldn't want to lose him for free again. As I said, he's one of our best uh, best defenders. So, yeah, great news, really. And like I said, with it being a two-year contract, at the end of those two years, we can, again, we can sort of see how he's playing, if he's still doing really well, give him another two years. If not, well, even if we were to lose him for free, then at that point, we've had a lot of good service out of him. We've had all of his best years. Um, you know, and we can sort of uh, say thanks and, and and move on. We can sort of see where he's at, but yeah, there's no downside really to us giving him the no, exactly. giving him this deal, and he yeah. he does absolutely deserve it. Right, next match then: Man City versus Newcastle away um, on Sunday. Good news is they've not quite been as reliable as a you think Man City should be, <laughs> or b Liverpool have been. Um, they've just been a bit up and down, really. They've kind of let Liverpool back in this title race when they were running away with it. I mean, they lost against Southampton, Spurs, Palace and Liverpool since January. Well, they've, they've dropped points. Um, Sorry, yeah, not, not lost, but they've not... They, they, yeah, they drew with Liverpool, they lost to Spurs. I mean, that in itself speaks volumes. <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah, further drop points against Palace and Southampton. So, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, that's still only four games. They pretty much won everything else. So, you know, but... Just to, you, just to compare them, yeah. so you look at Liverpool's just completely relentless consistency with like, well, aside from that Man City draw, it's like 12, 13, 14 wins in a row. Yeah. Yeah, with Man City, again, I mean, we're clutching at straws here, but yeah, just not quite as perfect as you expect. So there's maybe a smidgen of hope. A glimmer. Yeah, only a faint one, but it is there nonetheless. I mean, we have a, again... I'm still having to go back a few years here, but not quite as far as 2015 like we did with Liverpool. 
we did actually get a couple of good results against City in 2019. We actually beat them and we got a draw with them. I mean, we've lost five games since then and aside from one of them, which was a 4-3, they've not been particularly close. I mean, there was a 4-0 and a 5-0 in there. When you play Man City, that can happen. They beat some teams 7 or 8-0. It happens. Um, I think it just depends which Man City turn up and if, you know, if they bother almost. I, I sound awful, but um, I think sometimes when they're not firing on all cylinders, which is rare, but when they're not doing it or when their way of playing gets disrupted, um, they can get a bit angsty and they, 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 they can make mistakes. I feel if, if Newcastle run out and it was a Newcastle of a couple of couple of games ago yeah. and I was running at them and putting pressure on and not letting them have time on the ball, that's when there's going to be a potential for mistakes. It does then obviously open up Newcastle to counter-attacks, which obviously they're good at. And I think if, they, if you get a goal, they're going to start cruising if they get a goal. Mm. Um, but I, I think Newcastle needs to go out all guns blazing, really, to try and get something. Like just pressure, 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 and eventually they'll make snap tackles. Um, they'll get frustrated that they can't play their way of football. Um, I've seen Newcastle do this before to other teams, so it's not to say that they can't do it. We can only hope that that combined with maybe a little bit of a Man City off day can potentially come away with something here. But I think likelihood, no offence, I do feel that Man City are probably going to win this. Oh, God. I mean, yeah, I mean they could um, they could eat quite easily wins. 3-0, 4-0, something like that. Hopefully not. Um, I just, yeah, I want to see us play better yeah. than we did against Liverpool. And to be fair, we could play better than that and still comfortably lose to Man City <laughs> because of how good Man City can be when, when they're on it. So as you say, it maybe depends. I mean, Man City will be coming into it um, on the back of that crunch second leg against Real Madrid this week. Um, whether that makes a difference is anyone's guess. I love how this is going to be. We can hope that they're tired. They're <laughs> supposed to be tired, damn it. No, but, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, as I said, we're, we're still probably we're going to be up against it. Good chance we'll lose, but again, it's it's an interesting test of the team, and yeah, hopefully we can just have that bit more quality than we did against Liverpool. It's kind of upsetting, wasn't the it? The rare chances, yeah, when we do actually get to go forward, it'd be nice to just cause them. A few more problems because it would be nice to have the highlights where there's more of Newcastle than the other team. <laughs> I mean, that's not going to happen against Man City. I can tell you that <laughs> no, now. But no. maybe more than we had in the Liverpool. Yeah, <laughs> okay. it, it, it looked it like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we, we didn't. Really. Yeah, but I Liverpool mean, didn't do that much. Liverpool either. didn't do a lot either. But yeah. Um, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see as always. But in the meantime, if you could please give the podcast a like and subscribe, that'd be a. Uh, it would be a, it would be nice, wouldn't it? A positive review. It'd be a positive review. <laughs> yeah, if you could leave us a positive review as well, <laughs> that that would be fantastic. <laughs> and until next time, we've been Magpies Unrestricted. I've been your host, Chris Simpson. Thanks, Cara. No problem. And thank you, listeners. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.